John Ziegler here, excited to announce that we have our first sponsor of the Individual One podcast. Now, as you'd probably expect, I do not do endorsements unless I actually use the product. And I just started using this one. It's Imbue CBD. If you're a golf fan like I am, and you've probably read about how CBD is all the rage with all sorts of respected people raving about the various positive physical aspects of CBD, especially among people like me who are, let's face it, starting to feel the impact of aging. Recently, I started trying multiple products from Imbue CBD, and I can already tell that, among other things, I am for sure sleeping more soundly. And my wife says she loves the Imbue CBD facial cream, although, to be honest, she doesn't need it. In case you haven't heard, CBD is the powerful extract from the hemp version of cannabis. And while it may offer many of the health benefits of marijuana, there's no high, it's legal, and doesn't require a prescription. The source I trust for CBD is Imbue CBD. This is a top-of-the-line product and classy in every way. Consequently, Imbue CBD is not inexpensive, but I got you a discount to explore all the many ways CBD might be able to help you. Go to ImbueCBD.com and get 25% off when you enter John Z. Again, enter John Z for 25% off at imbuecbd.com. That's imbuecbd.com, promo code John Z. This is episode number 78 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler, and we're broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the bi-weekly program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective, because unfortunately no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. And unlike the corporate media, we at the Individual One Podcast are most definitely not compromised or program please subscribe rate review and share it via social media follow us on twitter at individual one pod that's at individual the number one pod this is our final episode of the year we'll be taking a brief hiatus until the new year after today's episode and it has been quite a year lots to cover in the aftermath of donald trump's impeachment as was expected only a couple of votes were not directly partisan. On the Democratic side, they lost two votes on the abuse of power article of impeachment, and they also lost Tulsi Gabbard voting present, which was really bizarre. And I guess the strangest part about Tulsi Gabbard voting present, she's the Democrat from Hawaii who is running for president for the Democratic nomination, is that she... While she did get some blowback from it, she actually also got some support for voting present. It's just flat out ridiculous. Uh, when, I don't, how do you do that? I mean, that that to me is the the weakest possible position you could take. Yet Megan McCain on the View said that she's got balls of steel for voting present. You cannot be serious. I, I can't figure out Meghan McCain. She's she's all over the map, uh, but I don't agree with that at all. That this was not 
a, a situation where voting present was proper. In fact, present was the ultimate cop out because the the basic position was, well, you know, maybe it's impeachable, but I don't like the process and it's too partisan, and therefore uh, I'm not going to be able to vote to convict. That's a that's a wimpy position. This was clearly an impeachable offense. And if you believe that there's enough evidence to prove that that happened, then you should vote yes. If you don't, then vote no, which two Democrats did vote no. Uh, I do not understand. I've said this continually. It's amazing how Donald Trump has been able to pull this off. But the Justin Amash vote, the only nonpartisan vote from the former Republican side, the only Republican still with a conscience, doesn't get counted because Justin Amash is somehow now viewed as an independent, which in my mind is also it's just flat out ridiculous. He was elected as a Republican. He was a founding member uh, of the Freedom Caucus. He was a Tea Party conservative. And the only reason why he's not a Republican is because of his opposition of Donald Trump to Donald to Donald Trump and his is support for impeachment. Correct. So so you don't get to just ignore that or pretend that Justin Amash doesn't exist, but somehow on the right-wing media side of things, and even sometimes on the left-wing media side of things, they have just ignored Justin Amash and pretended that somehow he's like, I guess he's almost like Bernie Sanders, where he's a liberal, but he doesn't he doesn't technically call himself a Democrat. No, no, no. He's a conservative Republican libertarian who got kicked out of the party because the party is now all about whether you are pro-Trump or not. Correct. So that, that the idea that that doesn't count as a vote against partisanship is just utterly baffling to me, as was... 98 to 99% of the Republican side of the debate prior to the impeachment vote. I mean, it was embarrassing. I had low expectations. I expected that Republicans would view their job as getting up there and proving their loyalty to the king. Correct. Being able to tell the emperor with no clothes that he actually looks wonderful. Correct. That's what I thought their job would be. But even I was a bit stunned by how far they were willing and able to go, not just to please their emperor with no clothes, but also their cult members back home in their districts who will be voting for re-election in about 10 months from now. I love the poorly educated. And some of the comments that were made, I mean, that were so over the top as to be flat out absurd, ridiculous, hilarious, and every adjective you want to possibly use. The two most dramatic examples were congressmen actually seriously comparing Donald Trump to Jesus Christ. And that somehow this was akin to his crucifixion. And they brought up Pontius Pilate, and Trump was the Christ character. I mean, come on, really, people? You cannot be serious! And another congressman brought up that somehow this day was like Pearl Harbor, the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, where thousands of American military personnel were killed, and a a U.S. military installation was basically destroyed. No, this was not Pearl Harbor. Donald Trump is not Jesus Christ. I know those are probably not controversial statements, but I feel like I have a need to at least set the record straight on that absurdity. It's just flat out ridiculous. Um, But I think there's a larger reality to this. And this goes to a theme that I have been pushing for the last several weeks and intend to do so again in 2020, because I am 
really concerned about this. I get a lot of heat from it. In fact, some of my close friends think I'm a little bit off my rocker. Of course, they're Republicans, and they haven't fully uh, accepted that Trump is a a 100% con man and a dangerous one at that. But I've taken some heat publicly and personally for my view on this, but it has not pushed me off of my concern. And to be clear, this is an issue of concern. This is not, I'm not in the prediction mode yet. I'm getting close to the prediction mode, but I'm not there yet. I'm at the concern level, and here's my concern. I would ask I would ask anybody who's remotely objective who watched any of that absurd 8-hour series of debate, quote unquote, it wasn't a debate, it was just basically uh, you know giving uh, Lewinsky to Donald Trump publicly uh, on the floor of the House of Representatives. That's essentially what it was for all intents and purposes. Correct. But uh but I ask anybody who watched even a half hour of that. I can't believe anyone could have made it through all eight hours without blowing their brains out. I know I couldn't have. But I ask anybody to look at that objectively and look how far universally virtually every Republican was willing to go with every current Republican voting no on impeachment and not just voting no on the idea that, well, this, you know, somehow it wasn't an impeachable offense. This didn't rise to the level of impeachment. No, 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 no. They were in full on denial of this. They were in full on conspiracy theory mode full-on defense that nothing was done wrong. This was delusional territory here. They were more than willing to do Trump's bidding at every possible level. Who among that group, and I'm being serious here, who among that group showed any sign whatsoever that if Trump loses a remotely close election in 2020, that they're going to be willing to stand up on the floor of the House of Representatives and say, no, Mr. President, you're wrong. The system was not rigged against you. The votes were counted properly. The Electoral College is clear. You lost and you must go. Who is going to say that from that group that embarrassed themselves during that impeachment debate? I would suggest to you that the answer is nobody. Correct. Nobody is going to be willing to do that. And that's my concern. That, is, that should be everybody's concern. Because that's when all of this insanity that we've been talking about all year long on this podcast, that's when the rubber really meets the road. A lot of this is theoretical. Up until you get into a situation where you either have to stand up for the truth or you've got a major crisis on your hands. Because we have never had, ever in this history of our country, an incumbent president contest uh, severely a close election. That's never happened. Ever. In a way that would be remotely like what I'm envisioning here. And where, where this president has been more than willing to lie pathologically, to use the levers of power for his own personal benefit to coerce even people like the attorney general to do his bidding who believes that the government is there for his personal benefit to do as he pleases as if he is a king the emperor with no clothes the only way he gets stopped is that somebody 
from within his administration or within his party in a position of power is willing to stand up and say, no, enough. This didn't happen. And there is no indication, no indication. If this was a drill, if this was a test for what might happen in a situation where Trump loses a close election, everybody failed. Every single person in the House of Representatives on the Republican side failed that test badly. And this is a problem because there's no reason why they would change that position 10 months from now. In fact, you might even argue that among the cult, it will be more, more of a test of their personal loyalty to the cause for them to stand up against what they will perceive as an illegitimate election than it would be to stand up against an illegitimate impeachment in the minds of the right-wing crazies and the Trump cult 45 members. I love the poorly educated. So this, to me, was the most damaging and dangerous part of the impeachment debate. There were many elements that were troubling. I don't like the fact that it was totally partisan for all intents and purposes. I don't even like the articles that the Democrats chose to impeach him on. I just believe that he deserved to be impeached. These charges were impeachable. He is guilty of them. Heck, the evidence of his guilt is still continuing today. It got almost no publicity because it was the Friday before Christmas, but there's just been two emails released where the Pentagon twice within hours of the infamous phone call between Donald Trump and Ukraine's President Zelensky made clear that the military funding for Ukraine was being shut down within hours of the phone call. I'm sure that's just a coincidence too, right? No, it's not a coincidence. This was all part of the quid pro quo. Correct. And as far as the quid pro quo was concerned, Uh, I found, and I wrote a column about this, which was surprisingly popular, and whenever I write a column that's popular, I get nervous, but this one might have been popular for a good reason, because I believe that Trump himself provided further evidence that the quid pro quo was what happened with Ukraine in a way that no one else picked up on, because it related to impeachment, but in a completely different way. It had to do with his reaction to impeachment and the rally that he held just after being impeached. He's in Michigan. Now, it's interesting that he's in Michigan because the only Republican who voted against him, Justin Amash, is from Michigan. In fact, I believe this was even in Justin Amash's district where Justin Amash will be running for re-election as an independent. I'm sure this was not a coincidence. But to my knowledge, he didn't go directly after Justin Amash. At least I didn't see it or hear it if he did, but he did go after another Michigan uh, congressperson who voted in favor of his impeachment. And this is why this is relevant to Trump's overall mindset and proving uh, how obvious it is that a quid pro quo did in fact occur between Trump and President Zelensky. So hear me out here. He's in Michigan, it's post-impeachment, and he starts railing against Debbie Dingell. Debbie Dingell is the congressman from Michigan who took over for her husband, John Dingell. John Dingell was a Democrat who also happened to be a World War II veteran who was in Congress forever. I think he was, I think he set the all time record for the longest stint in Congress. 
And so Debbie Dingell is now in that seat. And Debbie Dingell voted to impeach Donald Trump. Of course she did. She's a Democrat. Almost all the Democrats did. However, in Trump's mind, this was illegitimate. Why was it illegitimate? It was illegitimate because Trump gave, in his mind, it's not even factually accurate, in Trump's mind, he gave Debbie Dingell's uh, husband, John, an A-plus funeral. He gave him the full works in his mind. Again, this is not even accurate. It's important to point out Trump had very little to do with this, and <laughs> but it doesn't matter in Trump's world because he gets to make whatever crap up he wants. So in his mind, because he allowed John Dingle to get an A-plus funeral, this somehow means that Debbie Dingle is owned by him, I guess, and should never have voted to impeach him. Here is Trump railing against Debbie Dingle and the deceased John Dingle, even at one point strongly implying that he must be in hell because he was a Democrat, which even the Trump Colt 45 crowd in Michigan did not like at all. Here's what that sounded like the night of, of Trump's impeachment. Rotunda, everything. I gave him the, everything. That's okay. I don't want anything for it. I don't need anything for anything. She calls me up. It's the nicest thing that's ever happened. Thank you so much. John would be so thrilled. He's looking down. He'd be so thrilled. Thank you so much, sir. I said, that's okay. Don't worry about it. Maybe he's looking up. I don't know. But let's assume he's looking down. But I gave him A plus, not A, not B plus, not B. I gave him the A plus. And she called me, so nice. oh, I won't go into the conversation because it's not fair to do that. But all I want to say is, let's put it this way. It was the most profuse thank you that you could ever get. On a scale of zero to ten, it was a ten. There's so many elements of that that are incredibly disturbing and worthy of comment. I wrote a, a lot about them, or about most of them, in the column uh, that I wrote for Mediate, which you can find at our Individual One uh, Twitter feed, Individual One Pod, and I hope you will do so, because a lot of people thought that I made a, a really important point about Trump's mindset when it comes to quid pro quos. What's really going on there? Trump believes that because he did his job as a human being and allowed the longest standing uh, congressperson in U.S. history to get, in his mind, an A-plus funeral, that that in some way means that his widow owes him something. And the proof of this is that she profusely thanked him for what he did, which uh, in my mind, is just being a basic human being. Hey, Mr. President, thank you so much for what you've done. It really meant a lot, even if the president had very little, if anything, to actually do with it. But it's really particularly noteworthy that Trump, uh, one, by the way, he says, I'm not going to get into the details of the conversation. Part of the reason he doesn't want to get into the details of the conversation is apparently he has them wrong. According to her side, he called her. She didn't call him. Uh, so he's, you know, of course, he's looking for 
the 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 way one he wants the attention and the thank you and he wants someone kissing his ass but frankly i also think as a mob boss he's always looking for the angle so that he gets at least some semblance of ownership over you he wants the credit so that hey I'm doing for this, this for you now. You're going to be doing something for me in the future. You know what that's called? It's called a quid pro quo. All right, this is the way Trump looks at the world. This is Donnie Soprano. This is the mob boss. This is I own you because I used my power to do something that was good for you. Now it's illegitimate. It's insulting to me that you would end up voting to impeach me. Even though those two things have absolutely, positively nothing to do with one another. Correct. But in Trump's mind, they do. Now that's relevant not just from the standpoint of, wow, this guy's an asshole, right? <laughs> that, is a, that is a subhuman view uh, of the world, and that's not a good human being. But more to the point of impeachment, that's exactly, that is exactly the mindset that he had with his interaction with President Zelensky. Can you do us a favor, though? Right? I'm going to give you, this is, and, and the analogy here is quite clear. You know, the government is what's giving John Dingle the funeral, which he clearly deserved. Trump's just signing off on it, right? Well, Ukraine's military aid was approved by Congress. Trump is legally uh, not just authorized, he's obligated to provide that unless there's some really, really good reason not to. So all Trump is doing is not getting in the way of, of money that Congress authorized to the Ukrainian government for military funding as they're our ally fending off Russian aggression, which is in our national interest, which is why Congress approved that. So in order for Trump to not get in the way of that military funding, he needed a favor. And those two favors were something to do with the 2016 election and this crowd strike and the, you, the server that he somehow bizarrely believes is in Ukraine. It's all bullshit. It's a massive conspiracy theory with nothing behind it. Doesn't even make any sense. I still believe there's a missing component to that because I don't even know why he would care so much unless Putin has him up to this. I don't know. But the other more dramatic uh, favor is I need you to do or at least announce an investigation of the Bidens because that's what I really need because I know Biden's likely to kick my ass in 2020, and if he's the nominee, I'm in trouble. And so that's what he asked the Ukrainian government to do with the favor. It's obvious. It's an obvious quid pro quo. The surrounding facts are obvious. It's not just the phone call. There's a hundred other data points that support this. But the reason why what he said about the dingles is relevant here is that it proves the exact same mindset that was at work with regard to the Ukrainian situation. It's how Trump works. It's in his bloodstream. It's in his DNA. It's his modus operandi. Correct. That's the way he works. And so to me, that was the first thing I thought of when I said that. I mean, well, maybe the second. The first is what an asshole. The second is, wait a minute, 
people are missing. People are missing the most important thing here. And this happens a lot with Trump. This is, a, this is a classic situation where Trump benefits from being an asshole because everybody is distracted by the asshole part of this instead of the substantive element, in, including you know my good friend, Democratic Congressman John Yarmouth. He was one of many Democrats. Democrats are predisposed to always going after Trump on politically incorrect grounds or you know he's a super jerk uh, grounds and i get it i mean they're feelers right democrats are feelers liberals are feelers and but they always go after him on that oh it was totally inappropriate it was wrong it was it was not human you know i get all that but can we also at least address the substantive element the brain part of this where we go oh wait a minute hold on this is the same situation that was at work in Ukraine. This is the way he operates. He's a mob boss. This was a quid pro quo. And this was a quid pro quo with regard to the Dingles that there even there wasn't even a direct ask of a favor, as far as we know. Trump just expected it because that's the way he views presidential power. He has an abusive view of presidential power, which is partially why I'm not a fan of the article of impeachment, because it's way too narrow. He should have been impeached for having a generally abusive view of his own presidential power, that of a king, that of the emperor with no clothes. And that's why I'm, I've never been a huge fan of this particular impeachment, just in general, that he deserves to be impeached if only for historical and precedent purposes. Now, one thing that I neglected to mention in uh, the last episode of the podcast, because there was so much else going on, is that just before Trump got impeached, he sent a bat-crap-crazy six-page letter to Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, in which, among other things, he claimed that he was getting less due process than even the victims of the Salem witch trial, which is, come on, people. It's just flat-out ridiculous. I mean, really? You cannot be serious! Uh, it's factually wrong. It's... That's not the way impeachment works. Uh, he's the reason why his side was not uh, given uh, some of the things that he wanted. They, they refused to participate. Uh, the trial is in the Senate. The impeachment is the indictment. Uh, the Salem witches, last time I checked, did not have an entire media industrial complex, including Fox News Channel Talk Radio and uh, a huge portion of the Internet. Uh, lying on their behalf. The witches didn't have that. If they did, they probably would have survived the Salem witch trials. So it's absurd on every possible level. It was crazy. It was nuts. It was obviously written in part by him, part by his lawyers. And the relationship between him and Nancy Pelosi is is really very interesting uh, because I, I'm one of the few that keeps uh, tweeting whenever appropriate that in 2007... Donald Trump actually sent Nancy Pelosi, and this is classic Trump, it's such an egomaniac thing to do, he sent Nancy Pelosi a cover, <clears throat> the front page, I, I can't remember if it was the New York Times or the Washington Post, I think it was the New York Times, since he's in New York, he sends her the New York Times of when she becomes Speaker of the House in January 2007, and he signs it, Nancy, you are the greatest, Donald Trump. 
And uh, and then he sends it to her, which you know you have to be an egomaniac to 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 do that in the first place. Hey, someone you can provide somebody with something that they're you know they, that they think that they're going to want to put in a frame, or I don't even know if it was sent in a frame, but uh, you, you got to think pretty highly of yourself to do that. I've actually received a similar uh, note on an email that I sent uh, to Donald Trump uh, back in 2014 after we met backstage at the Today Show on a completely different matter. I sent him an email. He doesn't do emails, but his staff sends him certain emails he might like, and then he writes notes on them, and then the staff says, hey, would you like this email? And I said, sure, what the heck, for for posterity. So they sent me the, the hard copy of Donald Trump signing a note with his autograph and signature on my email. Well, similarly, that's what he did to Nancy Pelosi with the front page of the newspaper when she became Speaker of the House. But he has donated to her. He has praised her. And in fact, there's a clip that I have never seen before and this must have been at some point in the Obama administration. My guess is this is the first term of the Obama administration. This might have been when Trump was still pretending he might run for president and he was still on the uh, Hawaiian birth certificate uh, conspiracy bullshit. Uh, This is an interview on CNN with Wolf Blitzer in which he further praises Nancy Pelosi and then speaking of impeachment, comes out in favor of of the impeachment of George W. Bush, saying that he is surprised that Nancy Pelosi did not impeach George W. Bush uh, when she actually should have. And here's what that sounded like. Nancy Pelosi, the speaker. Well, you know, when she first got in and was named speaker, I met her and I'm very impressed by her. I think she's a very impressive person. I like her a lot. But I was surprised that she didn't do more in terms of Bush and going after Bush. It was almost, it just seemed like she was going to really look to impeach Bush and get him out of office, which personally I think would have been a wonderful thing. Impeaching him? Absolutely. For the war. For the war. Because of the conduct of the war. Well, he lied. He got us into the war with lies. And, I mean, look at the trouble Bill Clinton got into with something that was totally unimportant and they tried to impeach him which was nonsense and yet bush got us into this horrible war with lies by lying by saying they had weapons of mass destruction by saying all sorts of things that turned out not to be true much like with the dingles there are so many different aspects of that absurdity that should be addressed i'm just going to mention a couple first of all uh, the idea that it is a lie to be incorrect about an assessment that the intelligence agencies all agreed with, which was that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction, and which, by the way, there's still debate over the degree to which they were wrong. But being wrong in a prediction that is not the same thing as a lie. All right. If now, if there had been evidence that Trump knowingly lied about weapons of mass destruction in order to get America into a war that he did for his own personal benefit somehow, that absolutely would be impeachable. And guess what? He would have been impeached. But there was no evidence of that because it didn't happen because at worst it was a mistake and mistakes occur. But there's also this issue of the hilarity that the leader of the Republican Party, not just the leader of the Republican Party, the Republican Party is now the Trump Party. That's what it is. It's the Trump Party is a guy who was not just in favor of the last Republican president's impeachment and I guess removal from office, but was 
praising of Nancy Pelosi and attacking her from the left, saying she wasn't left enough to go after George W. Bush and impeach, impeach him, not to mention it shows his hypocrisy over the issue of impeachment itself. I mean, if there was one fifty-six seconds that you could show to illustrate the insanity of all of this, that would be certainly uh, the top of at least top five, top of mind that I can think of that would illustrate more aspects of it than anything else that I've heard. And so it's particularly interesting when you consider this this relationship between Trump and Pelosi, because I think that's why he is so incensed by impeachment and why he sent that six-page letter and why he is at times lashed out at her, because I think he thought he had an ally in her. I think he thought that the, this was somebody that uh, he could deal with. He's praised her in the past. And by the way, that goes to the whole quid pro quo thing. How can Nancy do this to me? I have praised her in the past. Therefore, she owes me. Therefore, I own her in some degree. That's the way Trump's conscious or at least subconscious works. But it's also important to point out that Pelosi, the way she is now playing this, and I don't know how this is all going to turn out. This might be much ado about nothing, or this might be a very important political gambit that she's trying to play. But Pelosi has said she is going to delay sending the impeachment managers to the U.S. Senate until she gets some semblance of certitude that the Senate is going to put on a real trial. Now, I don't think she has the leverage to get that done. She may be just trying to make a point. I don't know that she has the gumption to go all the way on this and just say, you know what, we're going to pocket impeachment. We're just going to say, all right, we did it. You're impeached. It's essentially going to be a censure. History will always say you're impeached, but we're not going to give you the opportunity to be acquitted because you know we know it's going to be a scam and we know you're going to use this to political benefit. And you know your 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 allies in the Senate are going to piss all over the process, and it's just not going to be legitimate. There's some philosophical backing for that. I don't know whether or not she would have the guts to do that. And if you don't have the guts to do it, it's dangerous territory to bluff. Now, other than Mitch McConnell, who's the key person here as the Senate Majority Leader, who has basically said, okay, fine, go ahead and delay, we don't care, which is the right response if you don't really uh, have any concerns about this, other than him, almost everybody else on the Trump side has been outraged by it. Trump has been particularly outraged. Lindsey Graham, Sean Hannity, and it's their outrage that to me is the best evidence that maybe this is not a bad idea. Correct. Because, you know, it's the old, uh, you know, don't put me in that briar patch uh, scenario where, wait a minute, if, if this was such a bad idea, then why is Trump getting so upset about it? Why are his supporters getting so upset about it? They clearly desperately want this thing in the Senate so they can get control over it and they can claim some semblance of exoneration like they did in a bogus fashion uh, with the, in, the entire uh, Mueller report. Remember that disaster? And I, uh, I, I, uh, I leave it with the uh, report. Yeah. And so they did it with the Mueller report and they're going to try and do it with impeachment, claim a faulty exoneration, vindication, what have you. So they desperately want that to happen. Now that's Pelosi's leverage. If Pelosi has any leverage here, that's it, where she's going to be able to drive them crazy because they so desperately, Trump so desperately, wants that acquittal. He wants, in his mind, that will erase impeachment, and uh, and who knows what the trial will actually be. 
about. There's been some debate over well, how many witnesses, if any witnesses, if what they try to call the Bidens and all that baloney, because uh, Trump wants a whole show. He wants to, to be able to claim real vindication. McConnell doesn't really want that. McConnell's much, much smarter than Trump. So I don't know how this is all going to play out. My guess is this is not going to be a long delay. I think this is a show. I think this is a way of Pelosi putting focus on the fact that the Senate is going to hold a sham trial. And if she can get any sort of concessions out of that, then then it's worth it. But if it goes beyond that, I, I do think that, that this has the potential of backfiring because it does show, in a way, exactly what Trump was saying, which is that this impeachment was political. It was a sham. If you really want somebody impeached, then you've got to send it to the Senate because otherwise what you just did is irrelevant. If you don't think he should be in office, if he's unfit, if he should be removed, you at least got to give the Senate the opportunity to do that. So I think it would be too contradictory and too dangerous for Pelosi to play this all the way out. I'm hopeful that she understands that. I think that she is, but obviously we'll see. Now, one other element uh, of impeachment was the fact that a Democratic congressman by uh, the name of Jeff Van Drew from New Jersey decided to switch parties. And this goes directly to Trump's past praise of Nancy Pelosi and the fact that he was a lifelong liberal from Manhattan and was never really a Republican and certainly not a conservative until uh, he pretended to be during the 2015 uh, presidential primary process. But Jeff Van Drew, who is a very liberal Democrat, I mean, he has a, a liberty score of F. Uh, I believe it's 7% of 100 by uh, one of the major conservative organizations that grades congressmen on their voting record. So he is in no shape or form anything close to a moderate or a conservative. He's a liberal, but he voted against Trump's impeachment, which means that he cannot run as a Democrat next year because he will be defeated in a primary. That's what's going to happen. He will be defeated in a primary if he runs as a Democrat, because someone will vote run against him, and in a primary, uh, you will lose. Because among Democrats, whatever, I don't know what it is in his district, but it's at least 70-80% believe that Trump should have been impeached. And you're not going to be able to win that, even if you don't change parties. So Drew, knowing, Van Drew knew that he couldn't win a Democratic primary, so he scurried over to the Republican side. And the reason why he was able to scurry over to the Republican side is because Trump embraced him because he already passed the only measure that matters. Are you pro-Trump or not? That's the only question that matters when it comes to being a Republican. As my daughter once said uh, many years ago, she's now seven years old. This was back when she was three or four. Is Trump a bad guy or a good guy? That's the only question you have to answer to be a Republican now. It doesn't matter what your philosophy is, how liberal your voting record is, what your history is. No, 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 no. If you can answer that question, he's a good guy, or at least not a bad guy, and you vote uh, against impeachment, guess what? You're in the club. You are now a member of the Republican Party. And so they actually held a ceremony, what it seemed like a ceremony, in the White House. And this was amazing. So Van Drew is sitting next to the president, and he is expressing his public 
undying support, literally his undying support for this Republican president, and then Trump immediately accepts it, announces he's endorsing Van Drew, and then puts Mike Pence, who's sitting right next to him, the vice president of the United States, who's an actual Republican, in the very difficult position of having to do the same thing. It sounds like they never even had a conversation about it, or at least unless Trump's lying and acting, anything's possible. But he then puts Mike Pence on the spot for essentially doing the same thing. So now they're both endorsing a liberal in a competitive congressional district in an election year, and the Republican Party is just supposed to go along with this. But here's what that sounded like in the White House uh, just a couple days ago. Two more things I want to say. One, you have my undying support. Thank you. Thank you very much. And always. And by the way, same way. Thank you. I'm endorsing him. Okay? <laughs> We're endorsing him. I can't speak for these two gentlemen, but I can say I'm endorsing him. Thank you. How do you feel about that, Mike? Are you uh, okay? You my support. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. Mr. Yeah. Mr. My support as well. Put together. Thank you, leader. Thank you. And the last thing I will say, one of my heroes, and he's always hung in my office, I have a bipartisan wall that has a lot of different people on there, Ronald Reagan. And when he said... I didn't leave my party. Right. My party left me. That's true. That's what he said. And I'm saying the same thing. He was a Democrat, and he, he moved over. Yeah. And he said exactly those words. It's fantastic. Thank, Thank you. you. Very much. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So we're now invoking Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan as a way of excusing a liberal Democrat being forced to scurry over to the Republican Party and being embraced by the president and the vice president and the Senate, the House Minority Leader, all because he has pledged fidelity to the king, the emperor with no clothes. And the way that this gets uh, 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 used, uh, uh, the way in which the lipstick gets put on the pig here is... Well, Ronald Reagan did the same thing. No, no, no. This is not a Ronald Reagan situation, okay? Uh, not even close. Uh, you know, the old line, uh, you know, we knew Ronald Reagan. You're no Ronald Reagan, all right, uh, Jeff Andrew. That, that's not a situation that is remotely analogous here. And Trump barely sounded like he even knew what the hell he was talking about. I, I think he was winging it there. But mo the most important element of this is, that sounded like a, a, a ceremony officially ending the Republican Party as a conservative enterprise. That's what that was. That, 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 this process was a long time in coming. And it, I mean, obviously, when Trump became the Republican presidential nominee, it was basically over. But now this is like an official signing ceremony where the Republican Party is now making it very clear making it official, putting it down on paper, having a ceremony in the White House, we are no longer a conservative enterprise. The only thing that matters is, are you pro-Trump or are you against Trump? Is Trump a bad guy or a good guy? And if you are willing to say publicly, by the way, there are those who say that Congressman Van Drew does not believe that Trump is a good guy privately. But if you're willing to say publicly that he's a good guy, that he's on the side of good, that's all that matters. It is the Trump party now. And we're seeing the same thing in policy. Trump just gave away the store in this trade deal that Democrats are ecstatic about uh, with Canada and Mexico. There are some conservatives who are upset about that, but no one cares anymore because there is no conservatism within the Republican Party. It's just a Trump party. And now it's 100 percent 
official. There was one semblance of a pulse of the conservative movement that showed itself a couple days ago when there was an editorial in the publication Christianity Today, which I admit I've never heard of before, but apparently has been a big deal, and Billy Graham apparently played a role in its origins. But Christianity Today put out an editorial saying that Trump, because of his immorality, should be removed from office. Correct. And this created all sorts of consternation uh, among uh, the Christian right and the pro-Trump Christian right and among Trump himself. He, of course, uh, had a spaz attack on Twitter uh, because he knows that this is very dangerous. I mean, the, his evangelical Christian support is the core of any re-election uh, attempt that he's going to make. Any chance he has at re-election is based upon evangelical Christians. Now, there's no evidence that Christianity Today, in fact, they've admitted this, that that editorial is going to change the world. But Trump felt compelled to lie his ass off about who they are, claiming that they're a left-wing organization. That's not true. He felt like he, he needed to crap all over them because they had the audacity to say that the emperor has no clothes. I applaud Christianity Today for doing that. I, I agree with their assessment that it will not have much of any real impact, especially in the U.S. Senate. But at least it's nice to know that somebody still has a pulse out there. There's not much of a pulse. Uh, you see it occasionally, like Jeff Flake wrote an op-ed uh, calling on his former Republican colleagues in the Senate to be up to this test, that it's not just uh, the Trump that's under trial, it's the Republican Senate that's under trial when this gets to the, to the U.S. Senate, because we all know, as he said, that if Barack Obama did the same thing, that Republicans would be screaming from the top of the hills that he should be impeached and removed from office. Correct. And so I applaud Jeff Flake, but maybe Jeff Flake should have run for re-election and stayed in the Senate if he really wanted to have a say in this. Now, he probably would have lost, but uh, you know he didn't even decide to run for re-election, and so my uh, opinion of Jeff Flake is, is not all that high, even if he is 100% right on this particular situation. But there, there is no going back at this point. I mean, it is very, very clear that almost no matter what the scenario is going forward, that Donald Trump is the future of the Republican Party. Even if he is out of office, he ain't going away. He's going to be influencing everything, and everything will be done in his in his shadow, in his vision, uh, in what, in whatever, whatever that vision is on any particular day, as long as he has his Twitter feed, even if he's out of office, and as long as uh, Fox News Channel still wants his audience to be watching them. I love the poorly educated. He is going to be the power broker, and it is naive and dangerous to think anything differently than that. Now, in a moment, I'll have a few closing thoughts on this episode of the podcast regarding where we're headed in 2020. But first, here's an important interview I did with Tom Bauer, the founder of our sponsor, Imbue CBD. Tom, thanks so much for joining us and for your sponsorship of the program. Please uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your company, Imbue Botanicals. Sure, John. Imbue Botanicals produces really the most extensive line of premium clinical-grade full-spectrum CBD products, including tinctures, capsules, topical lotions and salves, and even award-winning beauty products. They're available in multiple strengths for both people as well as pets. Our premium Colorado-grown hemp products are non-GMO, cruelty-free, and even vegan. 
Now, a lot of people might not be that familiar yet with CBD. It's getting a lot of publicity. But for those who aren't, what is CBD and why do you guys think it's so important? CBD is short for cannabidiol. It's one of the 115 or so cannabinoids that are found in the cannabis plant. It's generally accepted as the cannabinoid or or the element, basically, that provides the health benefits for cannabis. But science has shown really that CBD works best when combined with all the other cannabinoids and the natural terpenes that are found naturally in the plant, which is why our products are full spectrum, meaning they offer a full cadre of all the cannabinoids and terpenes for maximum effectiveness. Now, Tom, you mentioned that Imbue uses hemp. Tell our audience, if you will, the difference between hemp and marijuana, and why your product is not the latter. Great, John. It's really important to understand this. You know, we're all familiar with medical marijuana. Our products are, are not made from marijuana. They're actually made from hemp. Basically, hemp and marijuana are both the cannabis sativa plant. The difference is that hemp contains extremely low levels of THC, which is the cannabinoid that makes you high when you ingest or smoke marijuana. By law, hemp must contain 0.3% or less of THC by dry weight. So, so low, basically, that you can't get high from the product. So, in essence, basically, with hemp, you get all the health benefits of medical marijuana without the high or the psychoactive effect of THC. I should also add here that Congress last year passed the 2018 Farm Bill, which essentially legalized hemp federally and descheduled all the non-THC cannabinoids. So, Essentially, it's, it's, uh, it's legal, which obviously people want to know. Is, you know, can, can I buy it? Can I use it? It's legal. Now, when, when I use it, it's really helped my sleeping. I've only just started using uh, some of your products. But tell us, uh, what are some of the benefits that our listeners might find if they, if they use Imbue Botanical products? Really great question, John. We're actually not allowed to make claims about CBD or products per the FDA. Just an aside, if your listeners come across sites out there that are making health claims, we should always just avoid them. Just you don't want to deal with, with folks like that. It's, it's not legal to do that. But that doesn't mean that there aren't health benefits to CBD. We at MU Botanicals always encourage our customers to do their own research. There is a ton of information and studies available on the Internet. You want to talk to your physician, your independent pharmacist, even your veterinarian. You know, become informed. We've seen some absolutely amazing things personally and with our customers. Obviously, you know, the onus, if you will, is on each individual to to go out there and, and do the kind of research to see if it may be a fit for the kind of things that they're experiencing. Also, you know, check out our website, which has a ton of additional information as well. And that website is? It's www.imbuecbd.com. That's www.imbuecbd.com. Now, you mentioned the FDA, and just before we taped this interview, there was a new story where the FDA put out a warning and sent letters to, I think, 15 different CBD companies. Yours was not one of them. It was perceived as the FDA basically, I don't know, seemed to be like, backing away a little bit from CBD. What was your interpretation of what the FDA did and and how should our listeners interpret it? That's an extremely good question as well, John. And I think first and foremost is what the FDA is doing, especially when they're sending out letters to companies that they send letters out to, is doing their job. Their job is to really protect the American public from, you know, basically, you know, drugs that shouldn't be there, that aren't doing what they're supposed to do, that can cause harm, and also making sure that companies are doing what they're supposed to do. In in the case of these letters, these companies were making health claims simply because of how FDA operates and and the way that, uh, you know, CBD, which is basically a kind of a a brand new 
uh, thing for FDA, they're not allowed to make. You know, I'm glad that they're doing that. You know, we never make claims uh, at Imbue Botanicals. That's something that, that is, again, is, is goes back to the customer to do a lot of their own research on. They also came out with some basic overviews and essentially said you should really know what you're doing before you take CBD. It's not necessarily something you should be taking in water and in food products. You should basically get the kind of information that you need and talk to your healthcare team, your physician, your pharmacist, your, your veterinarian to make sure that there's a medical professional, you know, kind of assisting in the process. Now, in my experience, having used the product and seen the packaging and everything, you guys are totally first class, but first class comes with some expense. You guys are a little bit more expensive than your competitors. Tell us, tell us why you bring more value. We are more expensive than some folks, and Certainly not more expensive than others, but uh, but we're we are a higher price product, and the reason for that is, is where we grow, how we extract, how we formulate our products. We do that for maximum effectiveness, and you know what our folks tell us, and whether they're the pharmacies that we sell to or the customers that use our product or patients who use our product every day, they tell us that the product works and works better than things that uh, other products that they bought. It's more expensive to do it correctly, but ultimately that's obviously what customers want. If you're going to spend the money, they want something that works, and that's what our products do. So, Tom, if our listeners want to buy your products and, or learn more about them, where should they go? Go to our website. It's www.imbuecbd. That's www.imbuecbd.com. Imbuecbd.com. Tom, thanks so much for your time and your sponsorship. John, thank you. Thanks for what you're doing. Appreciate it. So as I mentioned, this is our last episode of 2019, heading into 2020. And we will be with you again uh, in in the first week of 2020. Uh, It's obviously scheduled to be one heck of a year. Uh, There should be an impeachment trial, regardless of how much of a sham that it is, early on in 2020. I don't know if that'll be in January or early February. But sometime in that period of time, there will be an impeachment trial. Donald Trump will be acquitted. I am still hopeful, although I'm not optimistic that Mitt Romney will be at least one Republican to vote to convict Donald Trump. But Trump will win acquittal. He will claim vindication. How effective that will be, I don't know. Uh, That's yet to be seen. My guess is it's all going to be a political wash. Then you're going to have the Iowa caucuses, the New Hampshire primary, the Nevada caucus, and the South Carolina primary. On the Democratic side, those are going to be the first four key contests that will determine basically who the finalists are for the Democratic nomination. I believe that the four people standing after South Carolina will be Joe Biden, Pete Buttigieg, Bernie Sanders, and Elizabeth Warren. Now, I don't know for sure that you'll get all four still standing. It's possible one of those four will be eliminated by those four contests, but you're not going to have more than four, and I believe those four are the most likely to still be standing. Based upon where the the race currently stands, I think Joe Biden is likely the nominee under those final four. Now, it might go all the way to a convention. It might be hotly contested and closely uh, contested all the way. But I, I think Biden would be the favorite. I think the way the rules are, as long as he doesn't blow it, he would be the most likely nominee. Uh, I get more and more nervous as the field whittles down because I don't know that Biden can get to a 55, 60 
65 percentile, which you would need in a head-to-head matchup to put the nomination away. But I do think there's a pretty good chance that Joe Biden will be the nominee under that scenario. The last debate Democrats had last week was probably Joe Biden's best. He actually got pretty decent reviews from a media that has no investment at all in his success. In fact, they're invested against his success for reasons that I have mentioned previously. But it does not appear as if anyone is emerging as his major contender. Pete Buttigieg is in Iowa and New Hampshire, but until he can make headway with the black vote and outside of those two states, it's going to be very, very difficult for him to be able to challenge seriously for the nomination. Not impossible. He could catch fire like Obama did in 2008, but that has not quite happened yet. And I do think he has more difficulty doing so for the reasons of his age, uh, his lack of experience, the fact that he is gay, although the media doesn't want to tell you that, married to a man. Uh, He's a very small in stature person. He's only the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. All of those things, I think, are going to make it more difficult than what Obama had going on in 2008, although there are some parallels. I think the biggest question facing the media in 2008, both during the primary process as well as the general election, assuming he wins the nomination. The biggest question facing the media will be, will they be able to resist the temptation to destroy Joe Biden? Because they are going to be invested financially in him losing. They need financially Donald Trump reelected. Joe Biden would be death to the ratings of most of the news television networks and the, to the content and clickability of most of the print content uh, in within the news media. It will be a very bad thing for the news media for Joe Biden to be president. They know this either consciously or subconsciously. Will they be willing or able to resist that temptation? Because that temptation will be strong to disqualify him. The right-wing media are already seeing this. Uh, even some Trump skeptical Trump uh, you know, right-wing media personalities, they hate Joe Biden because they want him disqualified because he's the only one that doesn't let them make the argument that, oh, my God, the left is going to make us socialist and we've got to defend against socialism, so we have to reelect Donald Trump. That's their last bastion. That's the only argument that they're comfortable making. So they can't make that argument with Joe Biden. They need him disqualified because he's too old or too crazy or somehow corrupt because of the Burisma bullshit, whatever it is. They need him disqualified. Will the mainstream news media resist the temptation to to destroy Joe Biden? I don't know the answer to that question, but that will be the question that will determine much of how 2020 goes down. But it will be a very interesting year, no doubt, and we plan to be with you for at least most, if not all, of 2020. Thanks so much for listening to the Individual One podcast in 2019. I hope you have a, a great holiday and a happy new year. As is always the case, we finish with our continuing updated percentages on whether or not Donald Trump will finish his first term in office and be reelected. So officially, we end 2019 with a 6% chance that Donald Trump will not finish his first term in office and a 47% chance that he will be reelected president of the United States. By the way, I didn't mention this last week, but I should have last Wednesday that the incredible victory of Boris Johnson in the UK as Prime Minister there, I do think, is good news for Donald Trump. and That's partially why that number is up to 47%. But that'll do it for this episode number 78 of the Individual One Podcast. Until 2020, thanks so much for listening. My name is John Ziegler. This is the Global Story Network.